This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Please don't forget about the gram, at Burns Clan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time bestselling author, the Book of the Year Award winner. You just won another award for Book of the Year also. I got to add that to the bio. You already know who it is. Mr. Blue Check verified himself. Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? It is another episode of Pass the Mic, but it is not just any episode. It's the most wonderful podcasting time yes, of the year for Pass yes. the Mic. <laughs> bro, you um, know I, I live do, for this. You know I, I live know for you this, do. Bro. Listen, y'all, when I say Tyler comes, ammo, extra clips, loaded, locked and loaded, ready to go. I thought I was doing good because I started making my list months ago. But this man has dozens, dozens. Well, and here's the thing about when you say dozens, right? Yeah, I think there's things that are worthy of being on the list. This year was particularly hard because there were a lot of things that were worthy of being on the list. Not a ton of things moved me this year. So that list of what should be and what could be and what will be, it just kept shrinking. And yeah, for me, there's probably about 25 to 30 things I'm picking between and there may be some shifts between part one and part two. I may do some live editing. I've done that before. I did that last year, I think, but I'll probably really do some live editing this year. But Jay, I'm excited, man. For those who are uninitiated, it's all good. Welcome to the hood. Um, we are going to tell you what Cultural Artifacts Part 1 is. Cultural Artifacts are our favorite things. It is a PTM tradition. And Jamar and I come on and talk about the things that we uh, found noteworthy, that shaped us, that were important, or our favorite things of the year. The only catch with this is it doesn't have to be something that came out this year. It can simply be something that you discovered this year. The only catch is it has to have been discovered and consumed this year. So it can be anything. It can be a person. It can be books, comics, anime, uh, albums, movies, events. Uh, Jamar always throws in some history. It could be a church movement. Whatever it may be, it is all uh, cool and it is all open to be a cultural artifact. So in our first section in part one we're each going to share five things i think we have a total of 10 this year is that right jay we each share five yeah total of 10 okay good so a total of 10 in this part one then part two would do a total of 10 again and so it'll be 20 cultural artifacts we'll share our honorable mentions at the end and then y'all can fight about it say i can't believe you included this or didn't include that i got some shockers that i, I that are not going to be on the always list always have shockers that are but not I got shockers that list. are not okay. going to be on the list okay they didn't make not the cut be on the list yeah. no okay it's been an interesting year okay jay let's get into it we, we got tight time let's get first, into it first i gotta say first i gotta say for our patreon okay. Listeners watching this video, Tyler's dressed to the nines, which he usually is. He's always stylish. But tonight, in particular, 
I just got off the road, a nine hour road trip, making time for this. I just want you to know, you know, that I, I wasn't planning on video. The, the discrepancy is there, but there's a reason for it. And Tyler <laughs> is unfair for this. I'm just letting you know. Look, I, I'm just trying to look good for the people. All right. I just want the people to recognize they're getting some elevation on oh, so I'm making grubby for the people. Oh, okay, I got it. Okay, okay. We start. I didn't like speak this, about girl. you. I didn't speak about you. Oh, you didn't I just spoke about to. me. Okay. Why? Why is why is me in the affirmative? You in the uh -huh. negative? It doesn't have to be, uh -huh. brother. Okay. Yeah, I got it. Hey, get it. into it. All right, let's go. Number one, I'm kicking it to you since you roasting me. I'm kicking it to you for number one. What's your? What's the first? And these are in no particular order. We don't rank them. Uh, we typically tend to keep our most meaningful things near the end but it's not ranked in a one through ten or whatever so it's just going to be in no particular <laughs> order so jay what's your first cultural artifact for 2022 the roasting is going to continue i just got to get it out of the way because i already know i already know everybody already knows my first cultural artifact of 2022 is taylor swift's Midnight album dog dog <laughs> dog <laughs> I told you. I told don't you. do this, bro. We're bro, gonna get don't. this out of the way right away. All right, man. All right, I'm. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna let you cook. We're not a monolith. Okay. I gotta All keep right. saying. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna go on mute, and I'm gonna keep saying black people are not a monolith. I'm just gonna keep repeating it. First of all, the fact that she even came out with another album. Listen to this. This is her tenth studio album, all told. It's her fifth in just over two years. So you want to talk about prolific? My goodness. This came out October 21st, 2022 at midnight, appropriately. The album is named uh, in, in recognition of waking up at midnight and lyrics and songs and ideas that came to her in these wee hours of the morning. And if we just talk about cultural artifacts, Doc, just cultural art, like big stuff that happened in our culture. You don't get much bigger than this in the music world. So first of all, um, she broke Spotify's records for the album, most album streams and most song True. streams. We give it to her. We, we, we tip our caps. It was, it's, you know, Spotify, every billions of streams, right? She broke all those records. And then she broke Ticketmaster <laughs> when concert tickets went on sale literally millions of people i think um within the first day or two two and a half million tickets sold but there was all of these hang-ups all of this problems because of the traffic so much so that Ticketmaster's um uh, uh parent company live events of uh, 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 their their officials from the parent company have been called by congress to testify about the process and say what's going on here there are millions of people who are frustrated this process is not working it's going to be is it going to be an antitrust case who knows but can you imagine they said this in order to satisfy the demand the ticket demand she would have to do 900 concerts that's a concert a day for that's almost impressive. three years that's impressive so i'm just saying as a cultural moment this is big you're that's you're it still not hey, that's it you're gonna you're still not convinced <laughs> man that's nah, i think that's dope what what do you love about the album like what's the thing about the you feel like the album's slapping in comparison to what other things have happened before because again i'm not a taylor swift enthusiast so 
as you as the, the head of this, the black section, at least the, the very, very oh small black section of oh this fraternity. It um, ain't like that. I could name a lot of other artists that would be okay in at the pool table. But in comparison, <laughs> in comparison to previous albums, in comparison to previous albums, what do you feel about it? Um, this, the songwriting keeps getting more sophisticated. Um, she's using metaphors. She's using uh, callbacks to previous songs, uh, both sonically and lyrically. Marketing-wise, oh my gosh. So they teased, before the album came out, they put lyrics on billboards around the world just to build anticipation and enthusiasm. And my goodness, did it work. Um, so, and it sort of is solidifies, this is this is kind of a, a moody pop album, but she's hit so many different genres, right? So it sort of cements, this album cements her as a virtuoso kind of in terms of musical stylings. Mm -hmm. um, so just from a singer-songwriter perspective, from a production perspective, it 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 is a very solid album. Now, for y'all who don't know, I'm not a Swifty like Tyler seems to imply. I just respect the 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 longevity of an artist, the popularity of an artist. How hard is it to maintain momentum over the course of more than a decade in this mm -hmm. industry? That's incredible yeah. to me. No, I mean, bro, I, I respect it. I think there's a couple of things that I find to be very interesting and intriguing about uh, Taylor Swift in this particular uh, season of her life and of her career. One is that she's been able to maintain uh, the audience's attention over the course of a decade. I think that's very difficult to do. And there are a handful of artists that do that very well. Uh, Taylor Swift is near the top of that list for sure. And I think what it what also strikes me is that, you know, now she's foraying into movie directing. So she's taking yep. that storytelling narrative approach in the album. And now that's shifting into movies. And I look forward to seeing what that looks like. I think she's with Searchlight Pictures or something like that. And so she's going to be a director. And so that's impressive. And also, you know, people are pushing back on that. I'm actually very intrigued. You know, I love to see artists cross genres and sure artists like you know your Kendrick Lamar's or your Taylor Swift's or whoever Beyonce's are going to have a leg up on everyone else who is natively a, a director or a, a screenwriter a cinematographer what have you uh, but I absolutely love 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 that idea and so I look forward to seeing kind of what she produces and there's there's no one that can deny her songwriting prowess and taking over the billboard charts that's all impressive man so i'm gonna give it to you bro I, i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm just gonna call a truce man whatever btm uh, is a swift podcast whatever i don't care man like what? whatever no i'll see you take whatever y'all say whatever whatever y'all say you know you can't beat right, them join well, them look 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 um well, hit us with yours, man. What you got going on? We've been talking all this yaya. Let's go. <laughs> you know, so I absolutely hate to do uh, this particular thing whenever I actually repeat uh, something that from an artist that I've mentioned in one of the one or two previous years. And I don't exactly remember when I mentioned the Red Hands band, but I got to tell oh. you, Red Hands came out with a new album. It's called The Family Album. And it came out in November of this year. And let me tell you, Jay, I can't deny it. I can't push back on it. There's it just irresistibly is the most fun record I've listened to all year. It is phenomenal. Tell us and there's, tell us about the band. What genre? How does yeah. this album fit into their discography? 
Absolutely. So the Red Hands Band is a gospel band that is, I believe, out of Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. And it's a group of five individuals, very, very skillful, um, kind of that groove funk. I told y'all before that this is kind of the legacy of Fred Hammond. As as a Fred Hammond stand, it, it feels like the legacy of Fred Hammond was passed. The ethos, the anointing of Fred Hammond was passed to the Red Hands Band. And so you got those licks, you got those funk inspirationals. And it's a it's a album that is largely seems like it's recorded live. Like not all of it is recorded live, but largely in this like more studio environment. So the first five or six songs flow together very naturally. And so they're doing some retreads of the things that they've done, some new songs, some new interpretations and flips of songs. And they have some incredible, the guest list is, I mean, blows your mind. So you got Jonathan McReynolds, you got Kim Burrell, um, uh, David Michael Wyatt, Anita Wilson. I mean, just some of your top, top, top voices in gospel and R&B. And the heart of it is just so uh, beautiful. I think what I loved most about it is that it seems like they've progressed as a band and it seems like they're mixing and mastering and their sounds, they seem more confident rooted in those sounds now. And so it's awesome as a fan to see the progression of an artist, see the progression of a group. And also I really feel like this is, it's almost like an album for those of us, hmm, this is a dangerous statement. The family album is like the album for those of us who can't do Christian hip hop anymore. And I'm not saying I can't do Christian hip hop anymore, like all respect to Chris, but you know how we used to bump Christian hip hop? Like that was our thing. Yeah. Yeah. And now shifting away from the reform space, just because those two are so tied together. Yep. And there's a lot of Christian hip hop outside Ooh, of that. That's not what I'm a, saying. We got a but in this height, whole episode there, y'all. Right. But go. But so <laughs> we got a whole podcast series, but it, in its height, you know, it was like that. And that's what we would listen to. That's what we hear, you know, and even your elevated grown and holy, you know, show barakas, your, you know, whoever it may be that you would listen to, uh, swoops, you know, people like that. I just don't know if we can do it. You, you know what I'm saying? And so now this is more like a gospel. It's got that, that funk groove. It's got something that, okay, I'm playing this because I've stepped into a new season of my life. And so this is an album I'd play more than, you know, Christian hip hop. You know, that's not to take a shot at Christian hip hop. I hate that. But it was just the first thing that came to mind. Like, oh, I'd play this album or that album in CHH. And I still do some albums, but it's not as a genre. I'm just going to keep it in repeat. Okay, so I'm going to play the family album by Red Hands. I'm going to play, you know, uh, PJ Morton. I'm going to play Jonathan McReynolds. I'm going to play Molly Music. You know, those mm -hmm. are the, the albums that I'm going to, and some of the albums that I'll share later too. Those are the albums that I'm playing if I want kind of that gospelish influence. So yeah, I, all those reasons I, I love this project. And if you are unfamiliar with Red Hands Band, this is the one to get. Mm. If you've never listened, Start listen here. to the family album. Start there. Start there. It's got some Does moments it... that lead you into worship. It's got some moments that will just have you. It's just a bop, and it's unskippable. That ain't a skip. Very good. On, ain't a skip in sight. It's unskippable. I stand so, by it. I guarantee you that. Let me ask you: d Does it feel like? Does it feel like it feels a a gap 
where like Christian hip hop once was? Like, was that something no. that you were missing that sort of go to band or genre? No. And it was, it's not like it fills a gap of Christian hip hop. I think for a lot of us, we have to, I think for a lot of us, we're still shifting away from that influence on our musical palettes. And we're shifting away from that influence dominating what we feel like is acceptable art and music and style and flow and something that we can repeat. And so it's just another iteration, I think, of a shift for many of us. And this is me personally. Red Hands doesn't interact with hip hop or Christian hip hop. I'm just saying for me personally, it feels like it felt there was one time I was listening to a couple of the transitions. I'm like, this is this is the type of I used to get this excited about CHH albums. Uh, and I'm not that that's not that's not where I'm at right now, personally. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. not, again, no shade. People are doing phenomenal you know, artistry and work. It's just not where I'm at. It's hard for me to get excited about that genre in the way that I used to. But this I get excited about this genre because I feel like it's taking the risks and pushing the culture forward. Now, there are other artists that do this as well. So it's not like Red Hands is the first to do this by any stretch. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, good. man. Yeah, that's I think I, it's also, more personal than, than, than broadly to everybody else. I, th- I, th- I think you mentioned you might have another album or something that you mentioned. And, and, and I think it's important for folks to know you're not really just like a casual consumer like I am, right? Like, like you're a hip hop head. You're a music head. You used to write like, album reviews and things of that nature for like national publication. Tell folks a little bit. I know we got to move, but tell mm-hmm. folks a little bit about your background on it. I ain't telling nobody nothing about my Come background. on. <laughs> Come on. No, nah, but I, I, you know, I did some did some album reviews. I, you know, was an A&R for a little boutique record label for a little bit. You know, I just... I, I like music. Whatever, you know? whatever. This man. It's not. It's not off. no big deal, man. It's not no big deal. But what I will it say is, it is a big deal. It means I, you I have a more critical ear. I, that is that is true. I do appreciate really, really good music, and I'm not saying I have one more album. I have multiple albums. <laughs> <laughs> this is a crazy year of music, y'all. This okay. this year of music. There's some albums that I'm leaving off that I'm like, I cannot believe I am leaving this album off of my list. I cannot believe it. So anyway, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a tremendous year in, in, uh, in music. Go ahead. Number two for you. So we're sticking with the pop culture theme. Number two for me is the movie pray. Hmm. Remember that one, bro. That's a great, great addition. I knew you. Man, how like you it. you go from worst to first, brother? That is just <laughs> I can't even from the from the guttermost man. to the uttermost. I love that, Bro. brother. That's just that's <laughs> the gospel, uttermost man. Wow. Um. So the Prey movie, y'all. If you haven't seen it, that joint just came out in August, but it was an instant classic. So it is. Oh, that movie fifth, is so good. Look, look. It is the fifth movie in the predators the predator franchise and most people are saying it's the best one since the first one with arnold schwarzenegger you know he fights this alien all that stuff um what was so good i mean where do you even begin number one uh the casting right this is this the film takes place it's a prequel 
it um in in the first predator film you get introduced to the alien to to the alien lore by um this indigenous woman in the amazon saying that hundreds of years ago something like this happened and it's been passed down in legend ever since then so that this movie prey actually picks up that legend and it takes place in the year 1719 in north america and it the it 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 is focused on a, a comanche tribe and so what i love about it is they cast actual indigenous actors um the main character is played by uh an actor named amber mid thunder they even did a um subtitle or, or captioning in uh comanche so just in terms of the integrity of the project and staying true to the culture, it was really brilliant there. But the story was amazing. The cinematography was absolutely gorgeous. Um, a lot of us were upset that it didn't get a theatrical movie release, the big screen. It went, um, it was streaming. They would have made Hulu. bank on that. They would have made, made bank. bank. Um, it absolutely deserved uh, a, a release on the big screen. And it, it was just beautiful. The plot was straightforward and simple in that manner, but engrossing. The writing was really good. The character development was so good. And this, just this prequel, What I, one of the things I loved about it, too, Part of a film is not just the movie itself, but the experience of watching it. So I had already watched it on my own, but we got to watch it again, Tyler, when we were on yes, our past the mic retreat. Yes. Yeah. So that to was watch amazing. it with the PTM team, we all loved it. And to just enjoy that experience together was it was it was a joyful moment. Uh, watching a great film and then sharing it with people who you knew had discerning taste and could really appreciate a film done so well. That's a brilliant addition. I remember that night watching the film and being so moved by how courageous it was and how courageous the characters were and also how connected to culture it was and the indigenous approach and it made me so disappointed to not be able to watch that. That's a big screen film. That's a big screen. That's the one you want with the audience. That's one you want to watch with the people around you. That's one you want to bring your friends to. And so I'm glad we were able to watch that communally because I would have watched it by myself or with Malina. And I would have been like, yo, we should have had a, a watch party, you know, and watch this because it was. And I think also what I loved is. I loved the relationship with the land and the relationship with the forest and the relationship with nature. It felt so um, grounded and rooted and earthy. And it's almost like when you're watching it, you can smell certain yeah. things on the screen. You can feel them. It's like you're walking alongside of it. You can, you can feel it. You can, you can touch it. You can taste it. And it was engrossing in that way. And it, the, the, from start to finish, it kept my attention. I didn't feel like there was a low period. I'm tell you. It's tremendous. It's just, it's a it, great, it, great film. It does tension really well. It does tension really well. Um, you're immediately invested in the characters. And then you are immediately concerned about their fate. fate. Um, Absolutely. And it just builds up these, these like nail biting moments, not a, 
not if you don't like scary films i don't mean it in that way it's just like a what comes next what comes next what comes next kind of a feeling and so i had to mention the prey movie shout out um uh to uh trachtenberg was the director all the actors it was an amazing film top to bottom if you haven't seen it see it yeah that's great brother um we ready for my number two let's do it my number two is uh something that I didn't expect to enjoy as much as I did, but I should have known. And my number two is the movie Nope. 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 Okay. By Jordan Peele. It is his third big screen offering, and it is set in a Western context. Uh, obviously, you know, Kiki Palmer, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, a tremendous cast, and it's all about strange happenings at the Haywood family ranch and the uh, murder or killing of their what seems like an accidental death of their father and then also these strange occurrences of ufos and then there's this side story of a monkey that's murderous um on a set it's a got ship, it all a murderous ship. it's got a little bit of everything in there bro i love this movie and this is a movie that the more i think about it the more I enjoy it and the more I like it and the more I want to go back and see it. And those movies always have high, 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 high marks in my book because it's provoking something in me. First of all, it, it incorporates within it probably one of the most unsettling scenes, the TV uh, set scene. Have you seen Nope? You've seen Nope? Okay. So full disclosure, I have not seen it yet. Okay. So there's a scene in the film that is incredibly unsettling. Hmm. It's one of the most unsettling things I've seen on film because there was tension and because you can't see everything that's happening, but you can hear and experience. Uh. And it was from the viewpoint of that particular character, it was traumatizing and you could tell it was traumatizing. But what I got from Note, man, is, uh, and I talked about this a little bit. If you're on Patreon, you know this. The thing about Note that grabbed me is it is about the burden of black believability hmm. because what they try to do and what they structure themselves to do and what they're pushing for is to catch the, the, the UFO, to catch the alien spacecraft red-handed on camera because they said nobody will believe that this is real. We can see it, but nobody will be believe that this is real. So they construct this elaborate scheme to catch it on camera, on footage. And beyond the incredible scene of, uh, there's, a, there's an, just an incredible sequence of about two to three minutes where near the end there's horseback and motorcycles and <laughs> it's just beyond that, which is, <laughs> is, is phenomenally shot. Um, Jordan Peele is a wizard. But beyond that, I think the idea of getting of getting what we know to be true on film mm. really moved me. Like nobody's gonna believe us unless we, and the links we'll go to, to catch a glimpse. My you know, it's mind. almost like this whole racism, racism, white supremacy concept, right? We know, we know that racism and white supremacy exist, but unless we, we find the smoking gun, right? We need the smoking gun of racism. Right. How do you know it was racist? How do you know he did this? How do you know? And we got to go to extreme lengths to prove ourselves. 
You got to get the uh, cell phone video of the white. You got to get the cell phone video. You got to hear them say, did they say the N word? What They could have been, mm. been meaning anything, but did they say the N word with the hard R? Maybe they're culturally from a different place. And maybe, and it's like, man, we got to do all this just for y'all to believe what we see. And that what moved me, bro. Yeah. What we yeah. know to be true. I loved it. Yeah. Nope is, is brilliant. I don't know where it ranks with get out and us and i think all three of those films are are outstanding but i love jordan peele kind of shifting um i love jordan peele kind of shifting genres within mm-hmm. the horror genre shifting mm-hmm. types of films that he does and i love him trying his hand at different things and experimenting with it and then you know you have two of the best performances i've seen all year between daniel and kiki just incredible. It's been so cool to see Kiki on the come up. Not that she ever went anywhere, but to see uh, more people recognize her. I need a blockbuster with Kiki on it. I need, I need a huge, (laughs) I know Nope is a blockbuster film, but I'm saying I need, I need that big role. I need, I need that thing that's going to define a generation. She can do it Mm. because every time Mm. she's on the screen, you cannot take your eyes off her because she has so much charisma. She communicates so well. She steals every screen she's on. If you saw her on uh, SNL, uh, she did that uh, Keenan and Kel retread skit, the uh, Good Burger. (laughs) Have you seen that? Yes, yes. Dog. I mean, come on. She's born to it. She she reminds me in terms of her virtuoso ability and her charisma. She reminds me of Jamie Foxx, actually. Yes, that's a great comparison. Great comp. Yeah, great comp. Okay, so Nope is my number two. That's beautiful. Okay, so I've got one more pop pop culture one, then then we get serious. So um, my third cultural artifact is the slap. Oh, and you my know goodness, it's a bro. cultural artifact because as soon as I just say the slap, most people know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the Oscars um, that took place earlier this year in 2022 Chris Rock is up there presenting an award. He makes a comment about Jada Pinkett Smith and her being bald. Of course, she she has alopecia, um, which leads to hair loss, right? Will Smith gets out of his front row seat sitting next to Jada Pinkett Smith, walks on stage and slaps Chris Rock on across the face. Um Goes back to his seat, says, you know, you can see him mouth the words, keep my wife's name out your effing mouth. And it was such a shocking moment. If people were watching for 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 minutes that seemed endless, we were like, is was that real? Was that was that part of the show? Was that a, was that a joke? Because Chris Rock kept it moving. You know, he didn't really stop or react or punch back or anything. We had no idea what was going on. Come to find out. It was serious. It wasn't scripted. Will Smith meant it. And then to have that happen at the biggest night in movies happen live, it it felt, in a sense, like collective trauma. Just to see that violence enacted, especially between two Black men, there's layers to this, right? So, so that led to all these discussions. And you saw all the sides play out online. Number one, was Will Smith justified in doing this? Was this a way of honoring or protecting the honor 
of his wife. What would you have done in that situation? And then the other side, no, it's not okay. She didn't need his help, whatever, whatever, whatever. The other layer, the black male mental health layer. What is going on with Will Smith and men like him that would lead to this response, this this violent reaction, right? And then there's another conversation about they did this in front of white folk. Does that matter? Is hmm. that make it, is there a respectability hmm. thing here? So so it just led to all these really interesting intra-racial conversations on multiple levels on top of just being a shocking incident in and of itself. And then Will Smith <laughs> later that night won the Best, Aster, best Oscar uh, Award, Best Male Actor Award, right? So it's supposed to be, I just. Yeah, that's the, that's the tragic thing above yeah. all of this, you know, in terms of what's hanging over this is supposed to be his night. You know, it was supposed to be that time for him. And I think personally, a, a really deserved role that he won this for, I thought King Richard and his performance in it were riveting and captivating. So to see that happen in that moment is what is the overarching kind of angst and pain for a lot of us is supposed to be your night, bro. Supposed to be your your time. And then this happens. Yeah, man, it's hard. It's hard to talk about this lap. Honestly, now I think it's even more painful now than it was then. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about at length in our Heal Black Man series and the surrounding apology now and also how the apology was connected to the marketing of the new film uh, and also Chris Rock and, and kind of his problematic tendencies. You see, for me, it's like very hard now to get Chris Rock. I, I think about it now and, you know, now that the dust has settled and I think about Chris Rock and his relationship with white comedians and how they were saying the N-word unashamedly around him and he was laughing and joking along with them, you know. <laughs> and so and so now I'm thinking about all these 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 moments throughout their careers. And I'm thinking about some of Chris Rock's artistic choices. And I'm thinking about Will Smith. I'm thinking about Jada Pinkett Smith and then their relationship post the slap, which mm-hmm. has been surreal to watch. Um, and then the uh, monetization of the moment hmm. from podcasts to videos to tours to movies. It's just the monetization with those three main uh, people in this mix of how this parlayed now their careers and, you know, biopics that will come and then biography. It's just icky. The whole situation is just, it's, I, I, I could live without it. And so I'm very much so, I think that was one of the lowlights of 2022, mm-hmm. not because, oh, you know, it's the, it traumatized, you know, me to where I can't look at black men the same and all this, you know, that we heard that nonsense uh, from a lot of the white Hollywood colleagues. But what I'm talking about is more so the, just the fact that it didn't have to go that way. Mm-mm. And regardless of who you want to point world. out and blame and all that, it didn't have to go that way. It just didn't. And um, yeah, we talk about it on Hill Black Man. It's just it's a mess. It's icky. I'll 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 close 
with this, it was really interesting in in the immediate aftermath of it, Denzel Washington and his words to to Will Smith. And he said, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Mm -hmm. Those words are haunting, chilling and perhaps prophetic. And I think, you know, a little um, a little fascinating, right? How the introduction of black Christian ideals find mm -hmm. themselves at the most em embarrassing, controversial moment of black excellence, how black Christian, quote unquote, ideals find themselves arriving in response to that moment. That's very interesting to me. <laughs> or very it could be at those moments we, 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 we go back to the foundations and, and, and what we think will really help. And it's not out of character for Denzel. Like what, no, what else I don't, it's not our character for Denzel. It's not our character for Denzel. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a All very right. appropriate one. So All Jamar right. and I do this Lift list this a little bit different. So Jamar, <laughs> Jamar does this list in the context of um, what is most notable for the year. I do this in the context of the things that moved me. So mm -hmm. there's there's a mixture of both, but yeah, uh, yeah. typically I try to lean those those are our leans, right? So you'll hear him talk about historical stuff and you know all kinds of things, you know January sixth committee, all that. It's you know, coming. Talk about Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode, just a dollar? now that's the bare minimum, that's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. I'm going to talk about stuff that, that I just thought was dope and really blessed me personally. Okay, so speaking of which, the number three cultural artifact for me is going to be a book. And this book is hands down the best book I've read all year. It is the life and afterlife of the historic hip hop producer, legendary hip hop producer, Jay Dilla. It is a book called Dilla Time. Mm -hmm. And are you familiar with Jay Dilla, uh, Jamar? In passing, you got to fill me in though. So Jay Dilla is one of hip hop's greatest producers, probably its most revered producer. Mm. And Dilla is known for creating uh, numerous sounds more so than songs. So Dilla, you know how most people, you know, they think of historic producers, you think of, of songs, right? You think of uh, Aaliyah songs with Timbaland, right? Mm -hmm. You think of Jay-Z songs with Just Blaze. Uh, you think of um, all kinds of uh, different songs from, from Jay-Z to Kanye's own original songs, to other uh, beats when it comes to Kanye as a producer. Or uh, you think of, of, of the clips when you think of Pharrell and N.E.R.D. and Chad. 
Dilla never had those breakout songs that were mainstream crossovers, but Dilla created sound. So the whole idea is Dilla created a different, this is kind of the premise of the book, that Dilla created different time, different mm. musical time, that he created mm -hmm. a different way of measuring how time works itself out in music and beats and measures and bars. And that he really was the godfather of sampling. So he's the godfather mm. of taking these obscure records from the 60s, 70s, you know, or whenever um, on vinyl, cutting and chopping them and making something new with them, whether interpolation or whether just creating that sample and looping it into a mm -hmm. new song with a beat underneath it. And so Dilla is kind of the godfather. If you think of, you know, who was, okay, you got Michael Jordan, right? So you got Michael Jordan. He, he's known for, you know, being this incredible athlete and this gift and, you know, can attack the rim in basketball. Who's Michael Jordan's godfather? Well, you'd have to go back to someone like Dr. J mm -hmm. because Dr. J levitated. <laughs> right. So it seems it was like Dr. J was levitating in the air when he attacks the rim and when he dunks. And so Dr. J was never as good as Michael Jordan, but Dr. J kind of created a different way of approaching the game. Yeah. Yeah. And so Dilla is that for Kanye. Wow. So if you think of Kanye and sampling, you, you know, you get those iconic samples, right? You yeah. know, uh, ain't no love in the heart of the city. And that's that Jay-Z. You get that classic Jay-Z beat, but that's that sample underneath you. Obviously, that's a Kanye sample. You right. know that. And it's the same thing with, with Dilla. Dilla kind of created and perfected that art. And Kanye just, well, he created that, that the, the height of that art. And then Kanye perfected it and took it to yeah. crossover levels. You needed and Dilla to, 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 to find the door yes. that others you could need, walk you through. You needed Dilla. And, you know, when you talk about hip hop in Detroit, Slum Village, there's so much of music itself that hinges on the memory of, of Dilla. Hmm. Um, Dilla died, I believe it was in 2000, 2001. I could be wrong on that, but he ago. died in the early 2000s, prime of his life. Okay. Um, due to a illness um, that that claimed his energy, his strength, and slowly drained him down into nothingness. And so uh, it's kind of illnesses upon illnesses, really. But Dilla is the type of person that you don't have a D'Angelo without a J. Dilla. Mm. You don't have the height of the Roots crew without J. Dilla. You don't have a common without a Jay Dilla. He's the guy behind the sounds we you don't have we a Badu. A Badu without Jay Dilla. Uh, uh, you know, like to a certain extent, like a Lauren Hill. I was gonna say that, that that falls right in that genre. So, and and all these people interacted with each other, and they created together, and they built together, and this book's pace and storytelling is peerless and masterful. Um, it was written by Dan Charnas, and he's penned some stuff for Ice Cube, um, I think Wu-Tang, I feel like, maybe some others. I mean, he's just, he's a notable hip hop writer. 
and the way he goes back into the origin story of Dilla, and then the way he tracks tragically how Dilla held himself back from being that crossover star, mm. held himself back from being able to experience everything that he could have experienced and some of the tragic choices. If you want to mm. talk about, I mean, some of the ways that it just seamlessly, in, you know, interplays in. Oh, and that that uh, young rapper was Kanye West. You know, that, you know, <laughs> you know, you know it was, like, was like, most oh, that, that was yeah. Talib Kweli. You know, you're like, what? Like, it feels like it feels like like the coaching trees, right? Like, like, yes, um, yes. if you look at like people who went on to become head coaches, they all have this connection to this one person or this one institution and somehow they all found their way to these highest levels of of the craft and and Jay Dilla sounds like the 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 person behind the person who you may have never heard of or you only heard a little bit about but without whom all of the stuff you now know and love about music would be different wouldn't happen yeah. would have happened slower um so I love that I love the I love the, it's the idea of influences it's it's just it's amazing. And, um, you know, I, I, I bring this up. It reminded me of this because on Sunday, our guitarist at the church, he blessed me with a Christmas gift. He gave me uh, a record player and uh, a Jay Dilla, the one vinyl. He was like, man, I was going to get you Black Messiah by D'Angelo, which is, you know, one of my definitive five albums. I believe that there are five albums you can kind of track everybody's musical taste by. And one of my definitive five is, you know, Black Messiah by D'Angelo. I just recently posted about it because it's eight year anniversary. Uh-huh. And he said, I was going to get you that one. But I said, no, nah, we got to start him with Dilla. So he got me Donuts, which is the classic Jay Dilla album of just beats and samples, just frenetic. It's like his his magnum opus is Donuts. If you want to find out Jay Dilla style, go listen Thank to Donuts. You. Right. Thank you so, for giving us that. And, you know, it's, it's like very frenetic and chaotic, and but it incorporates some of the greatest collection of hip hop sounds. And he wrote it while he was he, he made it while he was sick, you know, yes. made it while he was struggling. So so it meant so much to me. I mean, I was I was very emotional that he would get me something. Like, it's just such a thoughtful gift. But it reminded me of of the influence and impact of Dilla for hip hop heads. So Dilla time, whether you like hip hop or not, if you love music. You love biographies. That's definitely going to be one you need to pick up. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I've been really into biographies uh, this year and I didn't put a book on on my list, but there's so many great ones like that. So thank you for for mentioning that. Thank you for introducing some of us to Jay Dilla. Um, my next one now gets into the political. Oh, here you go. Now gets into Roots. the historical. <laughs> Roots. You got to change so, your voice, man. You got to sound like, you know. <laughs> sound like what? Do tell. What is the I voice of history? Do, nah. We know that uh, Morgan uh, Freeman uh, is the voice of God, apparently. That's what White uh, Hollywood uh, wants no us yay, to believe. No, yeah. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> That's All right, what they ahead. do. All right. Um, my fourth one is predictable. Uh, but but it has to be said, both on a personal level and a national level, is the January 6th committee. I knew um, it was coming. You knew it was coming because it is historic. Listen, it is one thing to study history. It is another thing to know you are living through history. So there were a lot of historical firsts with the January 6th committee, but most notably was the conclusion 
the conclusion of the January 6th committee was to recommend that the Department of Justice level criminal charges toward former President Donald Trump. Historic, unprecedented has never been done. Is they going to do it though? Is they going to do it? Is they going to do it though? I'm studying the past. <laughs> I don't know the future. Um, should they do it? Now that's a separate question. But uh, sure. just just looking, here are the charges they recommended. From bad to worse, obstruction of an official proceeding, which was trying to block the certification of the votes in in Congress, conspiracy to defraud the United States, which means knowingly lying, Um, conspiracy to make false statements, planning on making those statements. Here we go. Assisting or aiding an insurrection. And conspiring to injure or impede an officer and seditious conspiracy. What no, is... Seditious conspiracy, which most of us don't use the word seditious on a consistent level, so I don't even know what it is, but <laughs> that joint sounds, sounds it harrowing. It sounds bad. It is harrowing. Um, sedition is the is betraying the country. Sedition is rebellion. Sedition is basically an attempt um, to take over the government and to subvert the government. It is one of the most serious crimes anyone uh, who's a citizen of, of the United States could ever be accused of. And then it wasn't just any citizen. It was the president of the United States while he was serving as a sitting president. What is absolutely mind boggling to me is that anyone even accused of this is even contemplating getting anywhere near an elected office, much less to do what Donald Trump has done and announce his candidacy for the 2024 election. It is, y'all, here's the thing. Here's what makes this such a big deal. It's not just the crime itself that's the problem. It's the failure to hold people accountable that's the problem. If we do not hold this man accountable for these crimes, uh, if we don't at least, at least, and it's a very least, prosecute the case, then what does that do? What message does that send? Um, There was somebody who commented that, I think it was Jamie Raskin, that said, a congressperson, who said, if you fail to hold people accountable, what happens is they get better at doing crimes. They learn the holes in the system, the weaknesses, and they get better at doing the crime. So that's what we're looking at here. I also thought, I mean, there were a couple couple more things with this. Number one, um, the way they did it. So these were televised, right? And in a sense, they were still, you know, committee hearings. But they did this nine-person committee, which, by the way, uh, the chairperson is Benny Thompson, black congressperson from Mississippi, represents uh, uh, the, 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 the area where Jackson, Mississippi is. I ran into him a bunch of times when I was living down there. He um, was on your list last year, wasn't he? I don't I don't know if he was on the list, but it may have just been was, the committee itself. But I believe he was might he have was been at least mentioned. So, yeah, the committee's been for 18 months meeting. And, um, yeah, the significance of a black man from Mississippi, one of the most repressive states for voting rights and politics in the country. I thought that was important. So there's that. 
But I thought it was very important that they made it as dramatic and theatrical as possible in order to capture the public's attention, not just to dramatize it for for showmanship, but because they knew it was so important. They also knew it's a committee hearing. And so people wouldn't necessarily have this top on their list to watch. And so they actually consulted with a Hollywood producer. Um, they 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 chose their clips and their sound bites and the sequence masterfully. If you needed to make a committee hearing interesting, this is a clinic on that. Go back and watch any segment. And even though, yes, true enough, they're reading documents and things like that, but they even went so far as not reading off a of paper, they read off a teleprompter. So they're looking at the audience. They had um, clips with these incredibly damning quotes so that you it was really quite riveting in terms of as political uh, hearings go. It really was. And I think that was important because we needed as much as possible to capture the nation's attention. couple more things on this. To your point, Tyler, about the movie Nope and about believability, this committee met for 18 yes. months. Yes. They conducted over a thousand interviews. Over a thousand yes. interviews. They televised this. They have reams, millions of pages of documents. All of that just to prove what we already know from the president's own words and actions. And yet and still, that mountain of evidence, that mountain range of evidence is not enough to convince people who simply want power and simply want Trump in power no matter what. It's extremely disheartening that in a democracy, mm -hmm. evidence and facts don't mean a thing if it's your preferred candidate or your preferred outcome. Um, mm. We can't survive as a democracy like that. Uh, lastly is this. Um, in the final hearing, which was in December of 2022, they released some new testimony. One of it was by um, Trump's former advisor, Hope Hicks. She, in one statement, I think, encapsulated this man and his approach to politics. She was talking about him letting go of this big lie, that the election was stolen, that it was unfair. It had been disproven again and again, even by some of Trump's own appointed judges. And so she said, you know, this is going to tarnish your legacy if you keep this up. And he said this, nobody will care about my legacy if I lose. The only thing that matters is winning. Hmm. And if that doesn't summarize and encapsulate this man's approach, um, you want to highlight the narcissism, you could say that the subtext is the only thing that matters is me winning. Or you yes. could say the only thing that matters is winning because that way I'm still on top. Right. That yes. way I'm still the center of attention. Right. But it wasn't about the American people. It wasn't about this nation. It wasn't about the legacy of our country. It was about Trump. It was about winning. It was about staying in the public eye. And mm. his own people knew it. And we elected this man once. And there are millions of people who would be happy to see him elected again. That's why the January 6th committee matters. Well said. I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know when to amen. I know when to be the amen corner. Bro, Lord, that's, that's brilliant. And that's true. And uh, one can only hope that we... Take it seriously. One can only seriously hope. enough to prosecute at the least. But yes, at the very least. See.
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, what, I should say at the, at the very, very least to to stop this person from running for office again. Like, you know, at minimum, the very, very, very basic minimum, my right. lord. This is just basic, but wow. Number four. Um, so my number four, um, we're down to uh, my number four. It will uh, continue the pop culture theme. I am going to share one of my favorite TV series. It's been a banner year for TV, great year for music as well, and a really solid year for movies. So it's just, there's so much to pick from. So a lot of what you hear from me will be that because there's so many offerings. There's little things I made shift in, but I have to, have to, have to recognize a TV series um, that came out on FX in June of 2022 called The Bear. And a lot of people have talked about the bear. Yes, a lot of people have talked about the bear. And the synopsis of the bear summarizes pretty much everything you need to know. A young chef from the world of fine dining comes home to Chicago to run his family's Italian beef sandwich shop after the suicide of his older brother, who left behind debts, a rundown kitchen, and an unruly staff. So it follows this young man named Carmi who comes from the fine dining world, wins awards, worked at, according to what people have said, the the best restaurant, the greatest restaurant in the world. He worked there. And then after his brother dies by suicide, he comes back home to take over the family's sandwich shop. And when he gets there, everything is in disarray. Um, There's characters here, Richie, um, who's essentially the manager but he and Carmi are always at odds, always fighting, always seeing things differently. He was also his older brother's best friend. And so there was these connections and all these things, these cover-ups and, and things like that. Um, there's a young black woman uh, named Sydney, who's an incredible, imaginative chef, but she's completely inexperienced. She doesn't know what she's doing and she's trying to get her foot in the door. And she essentially looks up that Carmi is back and wants to study under him, but he's uninterested in being a mentor. Uh, There's a black man named Marcus, who's the bread baker, but he desires to be a pastry chef. I mean, there's all these different characters and subtext that go on. It's It's a dramedy, so there's comedy and drama within it. But you know why I put this on my list, Jay? When I was watching, when I was watching two, no, it's not because I like food. I do love food. I love cooking. You know this. I was watching episode two and I said out loud during a pause on Hulu. They did that little pause. And I said, this is exactly what church planting is. This is exactly like church planting. Oh, okay. Unpack that one. I said, this is exactly like church planting. The chaos, the try, you know, in my particular case, relaunching a church, the chaos, the shifting of uh, culture, trying to communicate well to people who attend your particular institution that you have shifted, that is different now, and that you're trying to serve them better. Uh, The subtext of family and how family sometimes leaves behind things and you're like, what do I do Mm. with this? (laughs) You know? the 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 pursuit dog pursuit of excellence the penny pinching the uh, desire for expansion and more the behind the scenes back and forth 
and, and bickering between people who are supposed to be running the institution. I said, this feels like church planning. This feels like uh, that. the story of all nations. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. That but sounds it, a lot like, like true to life. I was like, this, this is uncomfortably true. It and sounds like a lot of personality conflict, vision yes. conflict. Yes. Um, but it, it and then it there's also, a subtext of black, black, the, the young black gifts and how they're managed and how they're invested in, uh, and if they're uh, heard, and uh, if they're given an opportunity to shine. No, is this is this a is this a is this a fiction series or is it is it supposed to be like based on? I real, think it is based story. upon Mr. Beef. I think it's based upon Mr. Beef, which is a real life shop. Um, and so I think it's loosely based upon that. And I'll tell you this, Jay, there's this scene in, I think it's episode four. And there was a big failure that the young black aspiring pastry chef has. And he kind of gets down and, and on his, on his luck. And he feels like Carmi, the, the head chef is going to come down upon him and all these things. Carmi just walks out smoking a cigarette. He's like, look, man, you know, you just got to keep going. You know, you can't give up. Huh. He said huh. one time there was a fire, crazy fire broke out in uh, the kitchen and I just stared at it. And he said there was a moment where I could look at it. And there was a moment where I looked at it and I said, I could just let this all burn down and Ooh. all my stress would be gone. Ooh. <laughs> and he said, so there was a moment where I saw that. I said, I could just let this all burn. And then the, the Marcus says, you know, you, you put out the fire though, right? He said, yeah, that's what you do. You put out the fire. You keep moving. Wow. That's a sermon right there. You just there. put out the fire. Oh, I'm saving, it. I'm saving it for a rainy day, my brother. I'm saving it for a <laughs> <laughs> So the bear, check it out. It's on FX. It's uh, dramedy. It's got some. I didn't necessarily FX. love the Is way that, that streaming? It, yeah, you know, FX FX has has done a lot of really uh, intriguing shows. Obviously, Atlanta's on FX. Oh, yeah. um, okay. I I don't know if I had that. And, but then there's but then there's Hulu, you know, so Hulu is and FX have a relationship. Oh, okay, okay. Partnership. I so I thought I yeah, saw it, but so I know I don't have FX. Okay. The Americans, good, good, good. I mean, some really prominent series have been on FX. So yeah, man. What's your number five? You know, you know, you already know. Um here we go. I already know again, what's, I already know where this is going. I know what it is. Uh, but but it's got to be said again, both personally and nationally. My number five cultural artifact of 2022, part one, white Christian nationalists. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting for Tyler's reaction. <laughs> just a deep breath. It's like this man is so predictable. Um, yeah, I probably nah, bro, it's just fine. Uh, I was just, I just had to take a deep breath. I just had to take a deep breath. I see where we going. What's so What's so interesting to me though is if we had done this episode, say in July, it would have probably been critical race theory and i went through this whole thing with kurt. grove city college and, you know we did the episode about kurt um it was all kurt's over still the around place. kurt's still around see that's what i'm saying when the last time you seen kurt yeah, kurt, where ain't, kurt, kurt, kurt ain't been around here in a minute where did kurt go is kurt still where living in the kurt neighborhood go? i don't exactly. know exactly 
He just well, disappeared, huh? Nature abhors a vacuum. So, you know, Kurt didn't just disappear mm. without something taking its place. Mm -hmm. And that is white Christian nationalism. So this has been brewing. I mean, it's nothing new. It's been here in iterations for, for hundreds of years, really. But it's been brewing since January 6, 2021, attempted insurrection, because we saw so clearly these Christian symbols from a big wooden cross to uh, Paula White opened Trump's January 6th rally with a prayer that ended um, the, the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And she says something about, and we pray this for the United States, and it, everyone said amen, right? And so this infusion of Christian nationalism, Man. we had the Proud Boys circled up praying. We had this so-called uh, QAnon shaman praying in the chambers of the house in Jesus' name. So ever since then, it's been like on people's radar and brewing. And then you've got people like um, Philip Gorski, Samuel Perry, Andrew Whitehead, Andrew Seidel. Um, uh, uh, you've got uh, Amanda Tyler of the BJC. You've got Gerardo Marti. You've got all these scholars um, and advocates talking about it, defining it, creating resources from it. And then it really spiked when Marjorie Taylor Greene basically started mm -hmm. calling herself a proud Christian nationalist. And it's so interesting the way the con conversation has shifted and changed, because I think that's, I know that's a reaction to yes. uh, people pointing out white Christian nationalism so that the folks on the far right are on the defensive, right? So, oh, wait a minute, wait, wait, Christian and nation, th those are good things, right? Let's, let's <laughs> redefine it and make it make it something positive. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work because we're going to keep calling it out. And you so, can be black and embrace white Christian nationalism too. Just ask Bodie Bauckham. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Herschel Walker, but yes, Bodie Bauckham for sure. Um, and I've defined this again and again and again, but one of my, 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 uh, one of the ways I think is most helpful is uh, what Gorski and Perry do in their book, The Flag and the Cross, which full disclosure, I wrote the foreword for that, was glad to do so. I think it's a really helpful book about the threat that white Christian nationalism poses to democracy. By the way, watch when people say Christian nationalism and not white Christian nationalism. Watch out. So, so there are, you know, there, there's some disagreement among scholars about which which term is, is, is most useful. Uh, no one who who's really studying this and is serious about it would deny uh the role of race sometimes it's just shorthand to say christian nationalism but when people on the right say christian nationalism don't let them leave out the white part see they don't they don't yet know how to redeem yes. the racist yes. part of it yes um so they'll just leave off it they like the word christian they even like the word nationalist even though it's different from being patriotic and i don't know why you would adopt that word instead of patriotism but whatever so they say christian nationalism as if that's a good thing but they want to conveniently slice off that racist white supremacist part don't let them do that so that's just an aside here's the one that i think is helpful um is thinking of white christian nationalism as a story with characters heroes victims villains so here's how Gorski and Perry put it. White Christian nationalism's deep story goes something like this. America was founded as a Christian nation by white men who were, quote, traditional Christians, who based the nation's founding documents on, quote, Christian principles. The United States is blessed by God, which is why it has been so successful. And the nation has a special role to play in God's plan for humanity. 
But these blessings are threatened by cultural degradation from, quote, un-American influences, both inside and outside our borders. So that's the story that so many white Christian nationalists believe, and it shows Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. We talked about January 6th, but it can be um, seemingly innocuous, like the um, flag in the pulpit or the insistence on on prayer in schools or having the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse, right? It's, It's conflating God and country as if they're one. As if the U.S. has a special favored place above all other mm-hmm. political nation states, right? Um, and it's very dangerous because it's authoritative, it's authoritarian, it's anti-democratic, um, yep. it's inclined to believe conspiracy theories, all of these things. And it's critical because it's in the enemies in the camp. Yeah, we cannot pretend as if these aren't quote unquote true Christians. This the 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 no true Scotsman's fallacy, right, would conveniently let us off the hook from confronting it in our own Christian spaces. And I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it, white Christian nationalism is the biggest threat to democracy and the witness of the church in the United States today. So something we all need to know about. If you want to hear more about it, listen to my mini podcast, mini series, White Nation Under God. Dog. Amen again. <laughs> There's so much about it that we could dive into. Listen, you do. This is what you do. This is your bag. So everybody can just follow Jamar's. You can uh, subscribe to him at jamartisby.substack.com and, and of my Footnotes podcast. Footnotes podcast, all kinds of things that he's doing on white Christian nationalism. Find more out about it. Okay. I'll Number five, the- round us out. I'll round us out with another uh, very interesting uh, addition to the 2022 landscape. It's funny. I originally wanted to include this movie's score because I thought the movie score was great. And then I rewatched it recently with Mylena. And I said, now that it's out on streaming. And I said, oh, no, it's not the score. It's the movie itself. And that is, of course, uh, The Woman King. Uh, oh, which came out okay. earlier this year, yeah, uh, directed yeah, by uh, Gina, Gina Prince Bythewood, um, man, starring Viola Davis. The Woman King, it follows the, um, one of the most powerful states in Africa in the 18th and 19th century, the kingdom of Dahomey and uh, the Agoji. Uh, women, day Benin. Uh, warriors, yes, present-day Benin, uh, the women warriors, the Agoji, um, who were some of the fiercest warriors um, at that time, most feared, most powerful. And dog, this film is beautiful. It's beautiful. Have I haven't you seen, seen it. You haven't. Oh my goodness. Okay. You got to see it. the woman. Man, I'm going to tell you. Theater's like, an hour and a half away, but yeah, we've been over that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we praying you on, we praying you on into where you need to be. We praying you on into your new location. Okay. Golly. <laughs> Um, but now it's on streaming, so you can check it out there. But Woman King, it was not what I expected. And people have talked about the history and, you know, what they consider historical discrepancies or things of that nature, but it was not what I expected it to be. I think I was entering into it with this idea that it would be a westernized tale. Hmm. And it did not feel Western at all. Hmm. And I think maybe that's why it didn't hit me the same, because 
I can't. It's hard to it's hard to talk about it without spoilers. But what I'll say is, I think the the way I expected the story to go, it didn't go that way. The well, way I expected you... the story to unfold in terms of my expectations of how a Western blockbuster is set up and how, let's say, like a, a Marvel movie or um, what's another movie that came out? Oh, like a like a Top Gun Maverick. Right. So Top <laughs> Gun Maverick came out this year. That right. The quintessential it, quintessential America is it, the blockbuster <laughs> of all blockbusters. It's it's more a blockbuster than the word blockbuster itself. Right. Like it's mm. just that that's just what it is. And that's how it's constructed. And so the expectation that you have for, for a movie like that versus The Woman King, The Woman King felt like it was moving at a different pace. And I think watching it the first time, I didn't adapt to the pace. I just loved, I, I enjoyed the movie. I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't adapt. But watching it again, I knew what to expect and it felt so meaningful. So are Not you saying because, essentially like... Go ahead. Is it like it, when, when you're contrasting uh, Western versus African or, or West African, are you talking about like the story arc, like the flow of the movie? Yeah, there's some of that, but I think there's also the directorial choices felt very different than what I would have expected them to be. And I think it felt like someone, it felt like the director was crafting a story to say, it doesn't have to uh it doesn't have to go like this hmm. or in some ways it doesn't have to end like this right okay okay it's just it's it's different like i was i was bracing myself for something different and i'm like oh you know <laughs> you get to it you're like oh and and, so... and the, that i'll just say this the final scene which i'm not going to give away of course cuz you haven't seen it but the final scene it's just everything that i that final sequence when you watch the film text me about the final sequence because that to me is like okay i i wouldn't have expected us to end there i would have expected us to end in a different place and we ended mm. there and i mm. love that we ended there mm. and by that means there was something unresolved you always loved that <laughs> well i mean i'm not saying that but uh, viola davis <laughs> viola davis is an incredible as Naniska, the general of the Agoje, and um, uh, John Boyega is, is phenomenal mm. as the king. It's just a great cast. It's, it's people I don't know. It's people you wouldn't mm. have immediately recognized, but they do a phenomenal job. It's almost like I'd love another one of these films to kind of see where it goes and, and kind of how it evolves and how certain things resolve, certain things remain unresolved, things of that nature. But I think The Woman King... It's an important film as a companion to Wakanda Forever, which is not on my list, by the way. Um, spoiler. But Wakanda Forever is not on my list, not because I didn't like it, but just because I, I, it just didn't move me in the same way that other 10 other things did. But it's, it's like this companion to Wakanda Forever that mm. says this is kind of one way of viewing it, and this is a historical mm. portrayal, yep. portrayal yep. of what actually happened. And so from an action standpoint, there's a couple of rewindable scenes that you're like, okay, I kind of got to see that again. Like in the moment, you're like, oh, let me rewind that. That was amazing. You know, <laughs> you know just to yeah. see how they, how they use the land and how they use the tapestry, but also felt like there was so much agency and autonomy in small uh, places. So uh, the French are involved in this uh, mm -hmm. film as well. 
And so the French come to the kingdom of uh, Dahomey, and at one point they're speaking um, in their language, and, and the king stops them and says, you're, you're my kingdom, speak in my language. Ooh. I'm the king here, speak, speak like me. You know, and Get it was just those colonizer. little moments, those little yep. moments of self-correction and bringing in this idea of, no, no, you're, you're on our land. We decide what happens here. We decide what goes on here. I thought well, was I just brilliant. I haven't seen the film, but I got to go to Benin in uh, yeah, of course. November of 22. Of and so we actually went to the palace of the king. And wow. we saw um, the actual garb and, and weapons that the this uh, cadre of women warriors wore. And we got to hear some of the actual history of the kingdom of Dahomey, um, and it, it, including sort of the French influence and all of that. It was very interesting because it got into, of course, the, the slave trade and what that looks like in Africa. And where did European slave traders get yes, yes. Africans to trade, yes. right? Like, so Lee's did some very, and it was so interesting. That was probably the most sensitive topic of all when we went over there yeah. uh, was- Huge part of the film, huge part of the film. Exactly, from what I hear, yeah. So, so you know, what was the role- of other Africans in the African slave trade and how do you sort of come to grips with that uh, in terms of a legacy? So, you know, I love a good movie score. This movie score is uh, phenomenal. Okay. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. I just, I, I love the, love the interplay. love the, it's not just like, Oh, it's representation. No, I think that's weak. It's not representation. It was, it was historic. It felt it felt different than all oh, you know. It's just a bunch of women doing their thing. No, it's that's not why I love the film. I love the film because this really happened, and it felt like it was something a corrective of a society back then and a society now, and some of the expectations that we have and some of the things that we believe. And also, it was just a darn good film. It's just really good. And I'm glad they paced it the way that they did. I'm glad it was directed the way that it was. So for all those reasons, Woman King definitely is on the list. Let's give, uh, I'll give my um, top five or my first five, I should say. Again, I had uh, the Red Hands album, The Family. I had the movie Nope. I had the book Dilaton by Dan Charnas. I had The Bear, the TV show on FX. And of course, I had The Woman King, Viola Davis's uh, top movie this year. And I had the Taylor Swift album, Midnight, Lord, the Lord. movie Prey. I knew you were going to say something. Uh, the Slap, The January 6th Committee, and White Christian Nationalism. Well, that's 10. We got 10 more, and it's going to get harder and harder. I looked at my list. I've been looking at my list while you've been talking. I have no idea how I'm going to get this down to five because <laughs> it's a couple of things I have to include. Other things, I feel like they just going to have to get the ax. Um, but we're going to be back for part two very soon. And let us know what you think about these cultural artifacts. 
Were we bugging? Are you already tripping because I said I'm leaving off Wakanda forever? <laughs> what do you feel about it? <laughs> you just dropped that said? in there. Uh-huh. I know. Like, what do y'all feel about it? Okay. We'll see y'all next time, of course, on another on episode next. of Pass, Pass the Mic. The mic. Intentionally always it. says it off. You intentionally. We nailed that one. <laughs> nailed you it. You intentionally do it. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.